are digital nomads. We work anywhere. We're not limited by location. We're not limited by self-belief. We are works in progress. I'm Beck Power, and this is the Nomad Me Podcast. Megan Gerard from Mapping Megan has one of the most popular travel blogs around since 2007. Her adventure and adrenaline-filled stories with her husband, Mike, have been featured in places like National Geographic, The New York Times, and Forbes. Let's do this. What up? We've got uh, Megan from Mapping Megan in the house. Oh, What's up? Me. Yeah, it's really great to have you on the show. Um, you uh, you have one of uh, one of the most popular travel blogs that I know of. I've, I've heard of it quite a few times and uh, have checked it out a lot. You've got you've been a million places. How how do I how do I usually do this? Let's just have you introduce yourself. Uh, who are you? Where are you? Where are you right now? And what are you working on? Awesome. Well, yeah. So thank you for having me on the show today. Mm. Um, my name is Meg Gerard, and currently down in Tassie, which is that little island at the bottom of Australia that people usually leave off the map and kind of forget about us down there at the bottom. It's um, not New Zealand. Everyone. No, has it's not New Zealand, <laughs> and it's not Tanzania either. It's yeah, so Tasmania. Oh. <laughs> yeah. So we're um, we myself, my husband. Mike, we've been we've been travelling full time for many many years, and then we've recently decided to kind of set up a permanent base. So we chose Tasmania, and so yeah, we've kind of been getting a bit accustomed to domestic life, and get just really enjoying having a base now to take our trips, and just a bit of a different balance from the digital kind of like nomad life of continually moving around that we've had for the past couple of five or six years. I didn't know you'd settled down. That's cool. How long have you been there for? Um, only a year now, so we've been kind of, we got here last year, we've obviously still been taking our international trips, but I guess the big difference is that we can kind of return home and unpack a suitcase as opposed to how we had been travelling, which was living out of the suitcase. So mm. yeah, it's a bit of a different lifestyle, but it's keeping us out of trouble at the moment. So <laughs> Yeah, definitely. I love, um, I love having a base, actually. It's my base here in Bangkok, and it's, I mean... There are, there's there's merits to both, right? Like traveling full time, but I, at the end of the day, I really like having a bit of stuff. It's nice to own, you know, a pillow. And like, oh, absolutely. <laughs> and like, I love the fact that I can come down to the fridge, and I know that it's like full of. I have a week's worth of groceries, and yeah. Um, like, yeah, I can pull something out. I can pull clothes out of the cupboard, and I know that they're clean, and mm-hmm. haven't had to kind of. So yeah, there are there are pros and cons of both, and I wouldn't trade the time that we had as full time kind of travelers um, for the world because it was a fantastic period of our life, yeah. and I can highly recommend if it's something that you think would be amazing, and if you think, if it's something that you dream about, I can highly recommend it. But yeah, just kind of I guess everything comes and comes in comes in waves, and yeah, you just kind of need to decide if. Like reevaluate, I guess, is what I'm trying to say. Mm. Yeah, exactly, and just find out what's important to you. Um, so let's talk about how you, you know, back in those those days of full time travel, how did you, and um, what what made you leave home in the first place? I guess let's start right at the beginning. Yeah, you know, I've always had kind of just this fixation with I need to see the world and I need to be kind of traveling and exploring and discovering and. So that's kind of what really motivated me to kind of get out there. I just always had big dreams and big ideas and big imagination and just kind of, I guess, um, to use an overused cliche, called the travel blog. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, I just really loved that every day was different and you never really knew what each day would bring and just kind of that adrenaline that comes with discovering something new, whether it's 
tasting new foods or kind of experiencing a new culture or just chatting with people who have completely different ideas to you. Yeah. It's just really always fascinated me. Yeah, cool, cool, cool. Um, is that, do you reckon that's like a, I mean, Aussies and New Zealanders, we always kind of leave after high school, right, and like go on our first trip and some people come back and just like get, you know, stay at home. But many of us catch that bug and are like just kind of leave. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know if that's just a, I mean, I guess people from the UK do that, but they often go home. What do you think about that? Yeah, I think that it's a very Australian culture. So, like, I did the same thing. I left after high school, so I finished year 12 and then took kind of 12 months um, to go and work at a boarding school in the UK and kind of did the whole Europe route. <laughs> so and I then came home. But, yeah, just then didn't I didn't get sick of it. And I think that, like, there, I think there was something like 80 girls from our high school who were in London at the same time that year. So we kind of had little, like, high school reunions on the other side of the world just because so many Australians do that. So I think it's a very big Australian part of the Australian culture. Um, I think, like, because my husband is from the US and after having spent a couple of years there in the US, travel's not a very big part of their culture at all. I think something like 20% of the American population have a passport, whereas it's kind of, and you would kind of be looked at like, oh, wow, like you're going to go travel? Okay. Kind of in the States, that's the kind of perception. Yeah. Whereas in Australia, it's like wicked, like I'll come with you. That's mm-hmm. the kind of, so yeah, it's very different culturally, I think. Yeah, definitely. Um, so you started um, at, did you say boarding school in the UK? Yeah, so we had kind of 12 months there and then it was, um, I think we had like 17 weeks of kind of school holidays where we could just kind of take off and, they encouraged us to get out of the school and yeah, kind of go around Europe. So it was a blast. Yeah, I did the exact same thing. Um, I was like half the time in Wales and half the time in um, England on the nice. East Coast. Yeah, yeah, it's exactly the same. And travel around Europe. What um, after that? I mean, obviously you funded that that Europe travel with your UK job. How did you um, do? You, you just continued on from there, and how did you fund that? Yeah, so then I returned home and I did do the normal thing, like go to university. So I had five years of uni after that. Yeah. And But I just kind of had the bug so badly that I spent every possible waking minute that I wasn't at uni traveling. So like as soon as semester break started, mm-hmm. I'd be gone and I'd usually come back like two weeks after semester kind of returned because mm-hmm. I figured you don't really need the first two weeks and everything's yeah. online now anyway. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so I worked two jobs while I was at university, um, pretty much two full-time jobs. So I'd be up at like, 6am and go to a shift and then I'd come back um, to catch a university class at like 12 so I'd do like six hours at McDonald's go to university for like three hours in the middle of the day and then I'd go do a hotel reception shift from like three till 11 and then kind of sleep for maybe three or four hours wake up early to kind of get some assessments and assignments and essays and stuff done and then be at McDonald's the next day at six so um, it was a little bit extreme and I don't recommend anyone trying to live off three hours of sleep a night but yeah, that's how I funded kind of the travels throughout university just because I was so motivated that this is how I was going to live and this is what I wanted to do that I was going to not let anything stop me. That's interesting. So, like, um, there's so many parallels. I'm like, oh, yeah, I did that too. Um, what uh, what was I going to say? Well, how did you – so you funded it that for that time, but then after that, like, when you when you were – what am I trying to ask? What was the catalyst that was like, okay, I'm going to um, work and travel? Because I used to come home and for a year and go and for another year and come home and work and save money. And the day I found out that I could work and travel was like, 
what blows your mind right yeah, yeah no yeah, no exactly. so it's funny because I'd actually never kind of had that as the idea of how I was gonna kind of like how I saw the rest of my life um I had always thought because I did five years at university I did a double degree in journalism and law and I always thought that I was going to go into family law and kind of sit in my office nine to five right. um but then on a flight back from the U.S. to Australia, I was just like, chance, by chance, sat next to this gentleman called Gary Arndt, and he runs kind of one of the best, yeah, one Dude. of the best travel blogs in the world. I literally um, interviewed him yesterday. Oh, really? Small world? Yeah, yeah, yeah that's crazy. An incredible guy. Yeah. Um, yeah, I was just kind of randomly, chance of fate, sat next to him on a plane, and I had no idea about kind of the world of online influences or that travel blogging was something you could do professionally. Uh-huh. Um, I'd maintained a travel blog since 2007, since I took that first trip, uh-huh. um, which was, what I feel old, what, what like 11 years ago now? Yeah. Um, but yeah, back then it was just kind of more of a thing for mum and dad to let them know I wasn't getting too drunk in Europe by myself. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so then I sat next to him and we just kind of generally chatted as you do with the person next to you on the plane. And he was telling me how he'd just come back from Antarctica and like the brands paid him to travel around the world and his photography. And he was regaling me with like, these incredible stories and then little naive me I didn't realize kind of who he was or who I was next and I was like oh I run a travel blog like I could do that too yeah um, so then I came back home and yeah I guess that same motivation that I talked about which was seeing who worked two jobs in university I kind of put that time into really committing to changing my blog from a hobby blog into a personal it's sorry into a professional brand mm. and yeah that kind of at that time, it was just more of I thought that it might help extend our travels a little bit so we might be able to do reviews of hotels and review tours and that kind of thing. I really had no idea that kind of it would eventually three years later turn into a full-time income for both myself and Mike. So, yeah, it's been kind of something that I just chased as a passion to start with yeah. and then I kind of realised halfway through like, wow, this could actually offer a lot more freedom and allow me to kind of work for myself and keep mm-hmm. travelling at the same time. Yeah, totally. So if um, if we talk about the blog, a lot of people think that they start a travel blog and then they just should just keep on writing it and eventually people will come to it. And I think we both know that um, that these days that's uh, there's so many there's so much stuff out there. You have to really differentiate yourself. So um, how did you start? Uh, I mean, you obviously set out it was a hobby for a bit and then you started to monetize it and turn it into a business. What were the steps that you took to do that? Yeah, and I think that's something that that's probably one of the biggest misconceptions because nowadays everyone seems to have a blog and I guess online influencer or social influencer is a bit of a buzzword. Um, People kind of have the assumption that they can just start a blog overnight, it'll be a success and then you can start making money. But it's really a lot of hard work and it takes a lot to actually put yourself in the position where you have an audience who trusts you, you have the type of traffic that will convert into income. So you really need to put in a lot of hard work at the beginning to kind of put yourself in that position where you can monetize it. Uh, for me, it took about a year, but I guess the biggest realization is to realize that it's you're not only writing, um, it's also marketing and it's managing the social media and it's learning about web coding, which personally makes me want to like throw my computer against the wall 100%. and take to it with a hammer. <laughs> um, mm-hmm. but yeah, so you're wearing a lot of different hats and yeah, it's not just about if you write it, they will come. You need to start learning about um, SEO, which is search engine optimization, like how to optimize your posts to get traffic from search engines like Google. So there are, you do wear a lot of different hats. And I think that's probably one of the biggest things I would recommend to someone who's trying to go in, like come into this 
sphere at the moment or industry at the moment is to realise, have like a realistic approach to how long it's going to take without reaping any rewards straight up. Cool. And so your vlog now, like without going, obviously you don't need to go into any specifics, but how is it monetized? Like how can you, what are the ways that you can monetize a, um, a travel blog? Yeah, so our specific site is monetized mainly through advertising. So if you go onto my site and posts, you'll see um, kind of banner advertising throughout the content and then on the sidebar. And we also do um, like kind of content-based advertising. So a company will write to us and if we agree with their values and we like their product or their brand, we'll write a post which advertises to them. So we get paid that way um, through product reviews and that type of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, affiliate marketing, marketing is also a big form of income and many bloggers make a lot of money that way. So, for instance, they'll put links to Amazon and then you get a commission, maybe like I think Amazon is 6% around that, 4 to 6% maybe. Um, you get a, a part of the sale. Um, so affiliate marketing is a big part of income as well. Um, and then also freelance writing. So we actually, after our blog was set up, it's kind of acted as a bit of a portfolio for other brands who want to employ writers and travel writers and that kind of thing. Um, so, yeah. I guess one of the biggest things with having a travel blog is that you do need to diversify your income streams because sponsored posts might dry up one month and you might not have many of them coming in, whereas you'll then need to start focusing on like more freelance projects or really beefing up your affiliate marketing efforts. So I think it's one of the biggest, I guess, tips or pieces of advice I'd say would be make sure you diversify your income streams because something could dry up mm-hmm. and then you need to have something else that you can rely on. 100%. Good advice. Um in terms of your actual blog, there's a lot of adventure travel stuff. What's like, what are some cool things that you've been able to do in your travels that you're proud yeah, of? Yeah, so I'm like massive adrenaline junkie. Yeah. I'm mad adventure freak. And so we came back from Antarctica last year and that was probably one of the most exciting trips that we've taken. And we got to kind of camp out on the glaciers overnight. Um, we didn't have any tents. We just kind of took bivy bags with us and a shovel and cool. we like dug a little hole. So we slept in that on the top of this glacier and that was incredible. Um, done kind of in Bolivia, there's this um, there's this road called Death Road um, and a big tourist activity is to take mountain bikes down it. Um, it's supposed to be, it's, a, it's one of the most notorious roads in the world just because it's really, really narrow and it's this kind of like dirt gravel road that hangs precariously off the side of a cliff and it's literally so narrow and trucks kind of just come barreling up it. They've actually established a highway now so it's not really used as much for traffic but there's still kind of trucks and stuff that come up so yeah we, we take mountain bikes down it and just kind of go for gold um so that was kind of fun it was very kind of full of adrenaline keeps you on edge because you're trying not to there are no railings so yeah if you go over the i think i've seen road, that yeah 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 so all of that kind of stuff like skydiving bungee jumping um, horse riding safaris just kind of keeps us keeps us excited and keeps the adrenaline pumping cool holy crap and you um, you got married on the road as well. How did you meet your husband? Yeah, so Mike and I actually met at um, the base of Mount Kilimanjaro in Tanzania. Um, so we had both been, we were both solo travellers at the time and we'd both climbed the summit of the mountain, which is this seven-day climb. I wanted to, like, throw myself off the mountain because it was so difficult to get to the top. It was, it was one of the best things I did, but it was just, yeah, a very, very difficult trek. Uh, yeah, so we met at the bottom. Um, there's a hotel which kind of is a base for all travellers and you kind of come and go and depart for your safaris from there. So we met at the hotel and then both had to kind of leave the next day but just stayed up chatting all night and swapped numbers and kind of a year and a half later we were getting married in Hawaii. So yeah, it's a <laughs> bit of a kind of different story. 
but that's really cool. And then you, um, I think I read you celebrated your anniversary while you were in Antarctica. We did. So that was kind of a happy mistake. We didn't really realize until we kind of got there a little bit cliche, but we got married on Valentine's day. So it's an easy one to remember. Yeah. Awesome. At least you won't be able to forget that. Nice job. Yeah, exactly. Um, all right. Well, let's, are you ready? Let's do the quick fire round. Shall we? Yeah, sure. Sounds great. Cool. Um, so no pressure. Uh, what's, what's the best book you've ever read? Uh, I recently just finished um, a book called The Insulin Express by Oren Liberman, mm. um, and he gets he took an around-the-world journey with his wife for 12 months. He's an American, and he got diagnosed with diabetes while he was in Nepal. Oh. Um, so it's, yeah, an incredible kind of um, memoir diagnosed with, like, a life-changing illness when you're in kind of a poverty-stricken country and 20 million miles away from home. Mm-hmm. Wow, epic. Um what is what would you consider to be your life's mission? Like it probably sounds a bit cliche, but honestly, just to be happy because I think that we're so like caught up in life these days about just kind of the trivial details, and we're all so stressed and anxious. And yeah. I just kind of like if travels taught me anything, it's that if you strip everything out of your life that you don't need, like stop worrying about stuff and stop worrying about material things, then you're a lot happier in life. And I guess that's probably honestly my just mission every day to day is just to enjoy life. Good answer. Um, What is a cause or a charity that you care about? Yeah. So I'd really love to kind of like contribute as much as I can to putting an end to trophy hunting in Africa. Mm -hmm. Um, Just it's disgusting that we as a species are kind of responsible for the extinction of so many incredible species and it's really kind of evident that that's going to happen very soon in Africa. Like the wildlife Mm. is getting wiped out just because people decide to, that they want to go shooting just for the fun of it. And yeah, yeah, so I've like kind of try my best to use the blog as a platform to try and promote ethical and responsible wildlife experiences because I really think that's something that we all need to get behind. Yeah. Good one. Um, What have you had to sacrifice as a result of doing all the travel that you've done? Yeah, I think like as I said, I wouldn't I wouldn't trade the travel that we've done for anything, but there are certain things with anything in life that you do kind of sacrifice. Um, one of them is relationships with family and friends um, because being away for long periods of time, like you do find out how you, who your true friends are because they're the kind of people who you can go kind of five years without talking to mm-hmm. and then when you do speak to them, you can pick it up like nothing's changed. Mm-hmm. Um, but there are very few people in the world who you can forge that type of relationship with. Like mm. when you're traveling, you miss out on birthdays and you can't make anniversaries and you can't make like weddings and just kind of, I have two little nephews. So being away means that you miss kind of seeing them grow up. And like, we are very fortunate nowadays that we have so many kind of so much technology, I guess. So like Facebook, Skype, FaceTime, all of that kind of stuff, you yeah. can stay connected, but it's, yeah, it's not the same as being able to kind of go for lunch with somebody or just catch up because you want to. Yeah, hundred percent. Um, do you collect anything? Not really. Like I used to, I collect photos, I guess if that counts, Yeah. <laughs> come back with kind of way too many. I think I came <laughs> back with 3000 photos from like a five day trip a Whoa. couple of weeks ago. It was ridiculous. Um, yeah. Like I used to collect little plastic souvenirs and like postcards and stuff, but the more we traveled and the more countries we went to, it just kind of realized that they were going in a suitcase collecting dust. So mm-hmm. yeah, we try and focus on creating photos and, putting them on kind of hard drives and putting them around in the house so we can appreciate them so they don't also kind of just sit in a hard drive. 
Yeah, gotcha. Um, is there a weird, do you take anything weird with you when you travel? Is there like a, anything I, think. Like, I always make sure that I have clean underwear in my carry-on. I don't know, it's not exactly like a weird thing, but no, yeah. <laughs> like I've had my luggage disappear so many times and then yeah. when you have to like turn your underwear inside out, it's not ideal. No. Um, but yeah, that's probably, I used to travel with duct tape too, which surprisingly comes in handy for everything. Like mm-hmm. anything you could think of can be fixed with duct tape. That's a good tip. I like that one. Um, do you have, what's your advice for someone who's like thinking about traveling they haven't left the country or they um, or they travelled a little bit but they haven't done, like, adrenaline stuff or all the stuff that we're talking about, what's your advice for them to kind of take the leap and just maybe not quit their job or whatever but, you know, go travelling? Yeah, like, if you're worried or intimidated by, I guess, solo travelling, like if you can't find friends that want to come with you or you want to try something a bit more adventurous, I'd probably say take a group tour. Mm. And, like, I hate the whole, like, traveler versus tourist debate that you see online because there's no right or wrong way to travel. Mm. Um, But, yeah, I would really recommend a group tour for someone who's a bit intimidated because it's nice knowing that there are people who have done this before, they know the country in and out, um, they do all the planning and scheduling and stuff for you. But then you also make so many cool friends when you're in that situation. Um, And if you do want to kind of jump into something like an adrenaline um, junkie thing, so, for instance, I did bungee jumping in Costa Rica when I was on a volunteer placement and there were kind of 20 of us in a group and only 10 of us decided to do it. But you have people there with you to kind of encourage you and cheer you on and you get to share the moment with people who are in, who have the same mindset as you. So, yeah, I'd probably recommend joining some type of group tour that kind of does an itinerary you're interested in. Awesome. Good advice. Um, and where can people find you online and connect with you? Yeah, so I swear on like there's so many social medias out there nowadays, so yeah. I'm kind of like losing count. Um, but yeah, so if you look up Mapping Vegan, we're on Facebook, Twitter, um, Flipboard, StumbleUpon, Pinterest, Instagram, and then obviously we have our website, so mappingvegan.com. Yeah, nice. if you have any kind of travel questions or anything, feel free to email me because I'm always happy to kind of respond and help out if I can. Nice one. Megan, thanks for being on the show today. Really appreciate you. Thanks for having me. Thanks for tuning in today. If you love Nomad Me, make sure to leave your good review on iTunes. Every week, I select a reviewer to win a lifetime Nomad Fly membership for free. All the show notes can be found at digitalnomad.me. See you tomorrow.